It's the Tune Under podcast. Good evening in Australia and good morning. I think it's still morning if you're in the UK. Uh, we are going to look at the Arsenal, uh, preview the Arsenal game today. Um, we're going to talk about a few other things as well. I'm Jack in Brisbane. I'm absolutely full of COVID. Uh, everybody in my house has got COVID, so we're on day two of seven days uh, isolation, which is amazing fun with a with a two-year-old, as you can imagine. Um, we've got Craig up in Ken's. How's things, Craig? Yeah, good meet yourself. Yeah, I've been better. I've been better. <laughs> I've been I've been looking forward to doing this all day because it's like you know, it's, give us something to do. Um, it's a bit. I mean, yeah, it's a bit boring not being able to leave the house. So, you can probably tell I've been on the chat all day talking shit. So, <laughs> at least there's not a two week um house sit you've got to do effectively. That would be proper boring. That one then. Yeah, and I was talking to friends in the UK. Apparently, they've like COVID's not really. Like they don't have to isolate or anything there anymore. So really, uh, yeah. So I think I've done all right to get to two years through the pandemic without getting it. So yeah, and it's not too bad. Could be worse. Um, but as I said, I've, I've been looking forward to to jumping on today, talking about Newcastle. Um, you know, it uh, gives us something to look forward to. So just before we get into it, I just want to say as well that we're still pushing for subscribers. So uh, Craig talked about this. On the last part, and I think Mark did as well. We really want to try and get to 500. Uh, we're currently on 300 and something, almost 400 subscribers on YouTube. So if you enjoy what we do, if you like, if you like what you listen to, what you watch, and what you hear on the audio, please just uh, flick us a subscribe. It doesn't take very long, and it'll help us to grow. Um, keep doing this, which we really we're really enjoying doing it. So. What we're going to do is, first of all, I just want to talk about the fact that Newcastle United are safe. <laughs> this this is uh, something that we would not have expected um, when Eddie Howe took over and certainly wouldn't have expected after 14 games and then even after probably 20 games uh, into the new year. So... We're going to have a little bit of a talk about that because that's the big news of the week, really, before we get into talking about the Arsenal game. Um, the results the other, the other morning for us, it was the Leeds defeat against Chelsea, which meant that we are now mathematically safe. We basically, were anyway. Like There was no way that the, the teams below us were going to pick up those points. But let's just have a quick look here at the league table from the after the Norwich game. So this this Norwich game, Craig, what do you remember about that Norwich game? I think we were doing a watch along, were we? Or some people we were, were maybe. Um, I think were we doing a watch along? We probably yeah, we could have been. We've done. It's all been a bit of a blur to be honest. But the three key things from that game is one, Kieran Clark's red card. That was a huge thing. Joe Linton going into midfield, yeah. and then just realizing that we are headed for relegation because we just simply weren't good enough. <laughs> well, if you look at the league table here, for those on the audio, Newcastle after that game have played 14, 14 games and we've got seven points. So Eddie Howe by this point, I think he came in after we'd had eight games maybe. We'd drawn three and lost five, if I remember correctly. So he'd had, what, six games by this point and we, we hadn't won a game. And we're just we're just thrown away a lead, 
even though we've had 10 men, we've just thrown away a lead at home to Norwich, who were, you know, our biggest relegation rival. So it was pretty it was pretty worrying at that point. Um things were not looking good. I just remember that feeling when Pookie's goal went in. Because it was it was a game where we, we got that penalty and we we played pretty well. Well, we didn't play well, but we were, we kept them out, and they didn't they didn't really look to that they were creating too much. And then that that moment when Pookie scored that goal, your heart just sank, didn't it? Mm-hmm. Just ripped it in two, and it was oh good. Here we go again. Yeah, it was the, <sighs> it was the amount of effort that would put into that game, and for for, for it to have that outcome. Um, I'm not I'm not going to say that I felt like we were going down, but. At that stage of the season, it was impossible to see where we were going to get a win from. 14 games, that's a lot of games, you know, mm-hmm. um, to, to not have won a game by that point. And as we know, nobody in the Premier League history had ever survived after not winning in the first 14 games. So Eddie's record-breaking marks have done that with a couple of games to spare. So they can be very proud of themselves for that. Um, going to flick ahead now because after straight after this game against Norwich, we beat... Burnley. So that was Eddie's Eddie Howe's first win. And it took us above Burnley at that point, I think, but they had games in hand. So that was Callum Wilson, you know, vitally important goal. Huge. And we got that first win on the board, which was, uh, you know, it had to come at some point and we were wondering when it was going to come. But then jumping ahead, there was, a, there was a, a load more games. And then we got to the Watford game which was in uh, January. So this this game came just after we had lost to Cambridge United in the Cup. Ooh. And then we, we came up against Watford. We'd just drawn with Man United as well, which was quite a good game, but one which we really should have should have won. Uh, we, we played much better than Man United that day and a, lot, a massive amount of effort went into that game. And again, we threw a lead away. And this is the point where we were just conceding goals, you know, all the time, throwing leads away. I think we'd thrown away 21 points or something by this point. And we did it again against Watford. What do you remember about the Watford game, Craig? The Watford game, I remember St. Maximan being crazy frustrating in the first half. And we slated him like there was no tomorrow at halftime. I remember that. Again, I think we'd done the watch along for it. And we all said, you know, chances are he's going to come up with something memorable in the second, and he done just that with a great little solo goal. But that was pretty much all that we done in that second half. And towards I was maybe what the eighty third minute, I think it was, when Lascelles got out jumped by a midget, mm. and they equalised one one, and everyone's heart just sank again, just like it was Norwich all over again. And it was so depressing. That was another, yeah, that was another watch along with did and. It was the same feeling, wasn't it? But it was worse because it was right towards the end of the game, mm-hmm. and really we were we were wondering there, like we'd you know we'd gone after the Burnley game and we'd would lost the next four or something. It was against Leicester, Liverpool, Man City. We had a really hard run, and then we had Watford, uh, which again, like by this point, we'd we'd now played Norwich, Watford, and Burnley at home. We'd only beaten Burnley, and we drew with Leeds as well. So things were really not looking good and then we didn't deserve to be winning that game i remember no. i was i remember being annoyed with maxi in that game as well and he did what he did and stepped up with a with a great goal 
but it was it was kind of justice when Watford scored, even though it didn't make us feel any better at that time. But you look at the league table here, so we're we're sitting in nineteenth on twelve points from twenty games, one win, nine draws, and ten defeats, <laughs> and we're two points away from Watford, who've just pinched a point from us. It's looking. It was. I remember me, you, and Bobby did the pod after that, and I actually I actually listened back to it the other day just out of interest, and it was pretty. De- it was pretty depressing, obviously, <laughs> but um, I think we're, uh, there was there was a, a a sign of positivity as well. You know, I mean, my I I just always thought that at least Mike Ashley's gone, you know. But I was I was kind of resigning myself at this point to the fact that we might get relegated. How how were you feeling at that point, Craig? You know, twenty games in, over half the season, and we're on twelve points. I genuinely thought we were gone. It was just literally a case of play the remaining games of the season. Let's not try to embarrass ourselves, uh, get some points on there. Let's not be the worst performing team in the league and build for next year in the championship and come back up. And I think 99.9% of all Newcastle fans were thinking the same. Yeah, I think, uh, yeah, I was, I think we were starting to get resigned and I was, I was getting a bit, uh, worried about this because I'd already kind of fallen in love with Eddie Howe a little bit by this point. So I knew he was going to cop a load of criticism, fair enough. And especially that Cambridge game. And he he actually, in his Arsenal pre-match press conference, he actually referenced the Cambridge game just for mm-hmm. the support sticking with the team. But that was ex- that was an extremely dispiriting performance and result against the League One team losing at St. James's Park. So the whole the whole like team was stuck in a rut, wasn't it? I think we we didn't see what was going on behind the scenes. He he maintains Eddie how that he he had faith and that he he thought we were going to come out of it. But I don't even think he would have thought, you know, how spectacular things have turned around since then. Mm-hmm. So to 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 be sitting here talking about this now, when I'm going to get the current league table up, fast forward sixteen games from that Watford game. You've you've cut the bottom of the league table off. We're not even in. We're not even in that same on that same planet anymore, are we? It's great, isn't it? And it's just that little bit of breathing space, and it's just oh, it's so good to look at. Thirteenth um, place, sorry, fourteenth place. It's absolutely glorious. I would have bit your hand off for that in uh, game twenty. That's for sure. Forty-three points. So we're actually in here. Someone in the press conference asked Eddie Howe about this. We're actually in with a chance of beating the points tally from the previous seasons. I think we've gone 40, we've gone 44, 45, 44, 45, or something like that. Mm-hmm. We've been we've been around that around that mark. We're sitting on 43 and we've got two games, two games to go. Yeah, it's it's it, it's hard to it's hard to explain, I think. We we obviously talk about it a lot, we think about it a lot. It's just difficult, I think, to explain properly how good a job Eddie Howe has done um, and how good a job the players have done. Players that previously we would have we would have not cared if they hadn't played for Newcastle ever again. Some of them, you know. Yeah. Um, so it's absolutely incredible. And I want to just spend, because we've talked about, you know, we've talked about Eddie Howe in general terms. We've pinpointed some of the things he's been good at. Um, and we all know the players that have that have picked up and who have who have performed so well to get us into this position. 
before we before we talk about key points or key, I, I want to I wanted to go through a couple of key factors that we each feel has been important in this. What do you think? What do you think relegation would have actually meant, Craig, for Newcastle this season? It's hard to quantify, to be honest, because there's a lot of deadwood in that squad that were part of the championship championship team last time around. And I don't think we would have got rid of those if we went down. I think we would have kept them on, thinking, no, they were good enough to get where up last time, albeit a few years have passed, and we'll try again this year. But I, I really don't think we would have bounced straight back up especially if we had to kept the same squad of players. There would have been a few that probably would have left the squad, which is inevitable. So the likes of Wilson, St. Maxman, Almiron, you'd imagine they would have went on to new clubs. So we would have been left with the likes of Shelby, Clark, Fernandez. Fernandez is decent, but he's not uh, as good as he was two, three years ago for us. And they probably are championship quality players, but not over the life of 46 games. They just don't have enough uh, fitness and stamina in them anymore to last a full uh, season in the championship. And I think we would have struggled. We would have been maybe pushing for playoffs if we're lucky. Yeah, it's impossible to know, isn't it, kind of mm-hmm. what, what would have happened? Because every time Newcastle get relegated, people always say, I mean, <laughs> it's happened twice under Mike Ashley. And people always say, oh, we're never going to we're never gonna come back. I think, you know, it's, uh, it's going to be tough and we might do a, a Leeds or might do a Portsmouth, but... Mike Ashley, for all of his faults, he knew that being stuck down in the Championship out of the Premier League for longer than a season would have been disastrous um, for the club. And once you've been down for one season, it probably makes it that bit bit harder to come back. Yeah. Um. I I think that it would have. I, I mean, I'm sure the new owners would have would have known that, and I think they would have done everything within their power to try and get us straight back up. Um. It would have it would have set us back though financially. Dexter said here relegation would have set us back three or four years. I think yeah, probably financially, probably in terms of where we want to be getting back into the Premier League. I think we would have got we would have got there eventually. Uh, it would have just taken a bit longer. And as I said at the time, I think I'm um, <laughs> I've been patient for thirty five years of supporting <clears throat> Newcastle, thirty six years now. Uh, so I can be I could be patient for a bit longer. So I was still I think I was still at that point and I was still in that kind of takeover takeover delirium phase. Uh, but yeah. I might still be in it actually a bit. Where it's like I'm just so happy that Mike Ashley's not here anymore. And I was doing some um, I was looking at some of the, the commercial stats and things for something on financial fair play that I'm going to do soon as well. And it's just. It's just an amazing thing that Mike Ashley is no longer the owner of Newcastle United. It's it, it's glorious, isn't it? Someone shared on uh, Twitter yesterday um, the greatest day in Newcastle modern day history, and it was uh, Keith Downey breaking the news <laughs> that the funds have been transferred. And I, I watched it, and I'm thinking I'm starting to get choked up just watching it. It was it's such a monumental day in our club's history to move forward. Uh, we were, as uh, Cabbage Head put it, we were stagnant and we were just ticking along. Mm. Now we could potentially be a force to be reckoned with. That day in October will hopefully go down in history as one of the biggest days in the club's history. Seventh of October, yeah. I remember it was it was hard for us because the news broke just at bedtime. I think I think I was yeah. like doing scrolling through Twitter just before I went to sleep, 
and the news broke and I was like, all right, I won't be getting this through anytime yeah. soon. <laughs> <laughs> and then obviously Sam Fender went on to the BBC breakfast, absolutely yeah. hanging. That was good. Oh, he got smashed, wasn't he? <laughs> <laughs> so let's talk about a couple of the things then. What what do you think, uh, I've asked you to come up with three three things or three factors that you think have been um, important or have been present for Newcastle achieving safety at this stage of the season. What do you want, what do you want to say about that? The biggest thing by far has to be the takeover. Because without the takeover, none of the other things I want to mention would have happened. Um, takeover, number one, by far. I think that goes without saying, to be honest. And number two is Eddie Howe. I think the belief and the passion he showed towards everything within his first two, three weeks at the club. And we had a few uh, early training snippets uh, from the club because they've now got social media back. They can do what they want with that, really. Mm. And he didn't necessarily criticise uh, Bruce's training, but he said, look, it's just a different way of training. And you could see all the players, they're looking knackered after the first week. They're all standing around gassed and everything. So he got the players back motivated. <laughs> he got the fitness back up and everything like that as well. And that was a key thing. The fitness took maybe the best part of a month or two, to be honest. I remember Shelby. Still... I remember Shelby did an interview where he was like, "I am fucked." He was like, <laughs> "He didn't yeah. say that," but he's like, "He's like the training is absolutely killing." You know, it's like he's never he's never worked so hard. And mm-hmm. we know John Joe's not exactly a, a player who um, previously who was very good with his fitness. So yeah, it's uh, yeah. that's a that that's been a big a massive change. I'd agree with that. Huge. And the third thing, and I know this ties in with the takeover and everything that, but the transfer window, and not because we spent 90 plus million pounds or anything like that, but because we spent well. The, you can always throw money around, and I'm going to use Evan as an example here, you can throw money around and buy players for a lot of cash, and they just don't work out for you. Four out of the five transfers are said have been a resounding success. The f- fifth one, Chris Wood, he was brought in to score goals. He hasn't done that. But he has mm. excelled in other parts of his game, so I'm not really going to break him on that. But uh, the likes of Trippier, yes, he's been injured for a fair bit, but it's what he's done on the pitch and off the pitch, which mm. has helped massively. And then you've got Dan Byrne, who I was a bit critical at first, but he's came in and done a solid job. Same with Target. Mm. Target's done a cracking job, but went under the radar as well. I think that's because Dan Byrne's been the local lad. He's took a, a lot of the... Uh, Emphasis for the new signings, and then Bruno. What more can we say yeah. about Bruno that we haven't already? And I think um, the important thing about the transfer window, because this is what people say, like on the outside, they say, "Oh, Newcastle spent ninety million. You know, what? How? How would they not survive? You know?" And like they try and they try and use that to belittle Eddie Howe's achievement. Yeah. Um, but I, I just point out to those people that, like, just exactly what you've just said, anyone can go and spend money. But he he was coaching the team, and at the same time, he was he was basically acting as a de facto director of football as well, because he was he was picking the players, which a lot of managers would say that they would love that. But when he's so obsessive about the work he does on the training ground as well, look, how does he how do he ever get time to see his wife or his kids? You know, it's like <laughs> how does he get time to do anything? He's like the the way he's he's presented is just absolutely obsessed. He said that. He said after a few weeks ago that he hasn't even been out in the city. You know, he's just obsessed with his job, which is something that has endeared us to him as well. But in terms of the transfers, he he picked the players. So he 
without without him being here, probably wouldn't have got Trippier, you know. Without Correct. Trippier, would we have got Bruno? You know, he he's gone and picked Dan Burner from Brighton, who was a defender that he knew wanted to, was able to play in his style. And I think, yeah, Chris Wood has just been a, a functional functional signer for what we needed. And he, the only reason he's basically been here is because he's not Dwight Gale and because Callum Wilson got injured. Yeah. So he was he was available. It was it was a lot of money. It was we've 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 overpaid by at least double probably what he's worth. But who cares? You know, he's come in to do the job and he's done the job and he's uh, he'll be he, he'll probably have the Daryl Murphy title of fondly thought of when he leaves when he eventually leaves. Uh, yeah. I think all of the yeah. players I think all of the players in the, this twenty twenty two um the class of twenty twenty two if you like, I think that all all of them will probably be fondly thought of, or at least the, the vast majority will. Uh, as we said before, even ones who we previously wouldn't have thought. Uh we would have we would have happily drove them to the airport or, you know, kicked them out the door. They were just mm-hmm. not performing. So the I was I've got a couple of points as well about this and it was interesting what when we're talking about Eddie Howe because we can talk about Eddie in kind of general like broad terms and generalizations and say he's done an amazing job and he has done an amazing job but with the I think his character his character has been vital for Newcastle United because he and he said in this press conference today for the Arsenal game he said that he, he's not a person who panics he said he said, if there's a problem, I go away and try and find solutions, which is fair enough. You would expect any manager to say that. And then he said, not panicking or reacting adversely. He says, he said, I'm a thinker. So, like, it happens sometimes on Twitter where Eddie Howe says something and everyone says, isn't he amazing? Because he's just saying things that normal managers say because we've been used to Steve Bruce, who's been <laughs> in Portugal every five minutes. But um, he, I think his character has calmed the place down. Newcastle's a crazy football club. Like the the emotions are up and down all the time, and Eddie is just he's he's balanced, he's calm, he doesn't get too high, and he doesn't get too low, and that I think that's what's been really important for this club. Um, he's he's been a very good match and a very good fit in that regard for Newcastle. Obviously, the takeover because I did my three things as well. The takeover is obviously the big one, but I was going a bit more specific, so I said that. The moment that he settled on a more consistent formation, which was the 4-3-3 formation. So uh the Brentford game, which was his first game, he did this, mm-hmm. he was doing he did five at the back, and I think there was like he had like Maxi and Joe Linton either side of Wilson. It was kind of like a, it was a five at the back, and he did that against Arsenal as well. And then come, we'll come back to Kieran Clark getting sent off against uh against Norwich again, but as soon as Joe Linton dropped back into that position and we, we settled on this 4-3-3 formation, I think that that meant that the players all knew what they were doing and that they were it was they were consistent and that they all they each knew what job they had to do when they went onto the pitch. So that's we've we haven't we've deviated from that, I think, once or twice from the 4-3-3 since then. He changed it up against Southampton away when we were we were getting outplayed, and that worked. I think we went to four two three one. And I think possibly against Chelsea, he might have started 4 2 3 1. Uh, and there was Spurs, I think, as well, where he tried to take the game to them and that backfired. So finding the consistent formation, I think, was important. We've already talked about the improvement in previously underperforming players. So, I mean, we've talked about Jolin and all day, but it's a bit like with him, it's a bit like the 
astonishment of the rise that we've had in the league table. It's still hard to believe that this was a £40 million striker who was just useless. You know, like uh, there was, and I was, I was convinced up until probably March that there was something dodgy with that transfer. Yeah, uh, agreed. I... Why, why would Mike actually just suddenly drop 40 million on, on somebody, you know, when he's, he's never spent more than 20 million on someone before. Um, so the improvement in previously underperforming players, Kraft as well, Kraft to name, to name one, Shelby, who's always mm-hmm. been quite an important player, but his level's raised as well. So I think that was um, another important point. And also the the culture shift. So we talked when we were talking to Serena, she was talking a bit, Serena Taylor, the photographer, she was talking a little bit about the culture shift, the, the change that Eddie Howe has managed to enact. Um, just by little things he's been doing, like simple things like asking staff and players about their family. You know, it's such a simple thing, but all of this, all of these small things, and you know, you hear about him writing murals on the wall and different um, motivational, motivational things, and things like the the photo after the after the wins. You know, gets a lot of grief, but the, it's that culture shift from losing games and throwing leads away and forgotten how to win. As soon as we beat Leeds, we forgot how to lose up until yeah, <coughs> sorry, up until Chelsea. Um, which we didn't deserve to lose anyway because we got screwed by VAR and a last-minute goal. So I would say I would say that's my third thing. It's the culture change between from losing to winning, and that sounds simple, but there's a lot, a lot that goes into that, and it doesn't happen. It doesn't happen by accident. And I think it's more than a case of you know co- wins breed confidence. I think it's all of the hard work and all of the little things that Eddie Howe knows that knows what works from his from his experience. Thoughts on that, Craig? Agreed. Yeah, uh, I think it's a solid argument uh, for what has been our route to success. If you can call it success, which I think we definitely can, to be honest, for where we were headed. And other thing as well, I, I don't think they get enough praise of this, is Eddie's um, backroom staff. Mm. I think they've been absolutely fantastic as well. Uh, I know Serena praised those just as much as she praised Eddie. And it's every man is part of the team there, not just who you see on the touchline or anything like that. Everybody that part of uh, that backroom staff is made a huge, huge difference. And like I say, we've gone from somebody asking, uh, how's the bacon to, an- <laughs> to answering questions like he's been a pro manager in the game for 25, 30 years. You know, he looks mm. like a seasoned professional when really it's only his second managerial job. And, mm. I love the man, and uh, I know you feel the same about Eddie. Long may continue. Something else interesting he said in his Arsenal press conference. Somebody asked him a question about whether he takes advice from the outside. From it might have been when Keith Downey was asking him about Jose Mourinho's interview. Jose was uh, <laughs> Jose's been touting himself for the Newcastle job. Obviously, Again. he did an interview <laughs> with Sky where he was like, "Oh, I love Newcastle, Mr. Robson." Blah blah blah. Um. And one of the journalists asked Eddie Howe if he takes advice from the outside. And he just said that. He said that he doesn't because he's got his own experience and because it's hard for somebody, for other people to know exactly what the situation is within the club. So it's hard It's hard for them to, to give kind of clear advice. Um, and that, for, to me, that showed a confidence in his own ability, but also just an intelligence, you know. Um, I think he's... 
we're, we're very lucky to be in the hands of somebody who who's got that he's got that work ethic and that skill as a coach but he's got the intelligence as well and he you you, you get the idea he'll, he'll reflect and he'll think he'll think about things you get the idea he doesn't think about anything else really like i don't know how he has had time to have a wife and kids really but <laughs> there you go hopefully they'll move up to be with him like he said that in his first press conference they were going to come up and, and live with him now so he's definitely not going to be going anywhere anytime soon hopefully thank god just before we look on to the um look at the arsenal game Uggie's asked a, asked a question here. I want to just ask you about your... We're, we're going to go into this in much more detail over the over the break, but Uggie says, Eddie's mentioned the new expectation on the team is that the owners want a push for Europe. Thoughts on that, Craig? Uh, I'd agree. Yeah, uh, I think it's definitely a possibility. You know, based on the form table from the start of the year, we would probably warrant a, a European place. Uh, is definitely calls for it. And whether it's going to be from uh, a league position or, uh, dare I say it, winning a cup, because I think that's where our focus should lie next year, uh, get a good, solid league position and push for one of the cups, whether it be uh, the Carabao or the FA Cup. Uh, I'm not going to argue uh, which one we would uh, even attempt to go and win. Just getting past the third round would be deemed successful for me in the frigging cup. Um, but yeah, I think that's what we'll aim for, uh, success of the Cups. If not, then we'll try and push up the league as hard as we can. I've maintained for my whole life that all I want in my whole Newcastle supporting life is to see us win a Cup. Mm-hmm. So that's uh, that. I, I stick with that for now. I'll, it'll be, it'll just be, I can't, yeah, it'll be a good day. Let's just put, let's just <laughs> put it that way. But um, but it'll be interesting to see if that does happen. I'm go- I'll try and stay grounded. I'll try and stay level-headed about things. But how it'll be interesting to see how quick expectations change. And if you do win, if you do win a cup, how how you know do we do we become like Man City fans where you're not even bothered about winning five 0 at home, kind of thing on the way to a league title? Uh, it'll be just interesting to see that dynamic mm-hmm. and what happens with our with our fan base and what happens you know personally for. Fans like us who've, or people, some people have supported Newcastle for a lot longer than we have. So interesting to see what what happens with them. In terms of Europe, let's. I mean, I've got the league table back up here. So West Ham are in seventh place at the moment, and they're twelve points above us. I don't see any reason why we can't push for that. I, I can't. I don't see any reason why, if how we've been here since the beginning of the season, why with this group of players, why that might not have been. A, uh, you know, a feasible target. Wolves have spent most of the season up in eighth. You know, um, mm-hmm. I think obviously, I think breaking into the Champions League is going to be very, very difficult. And you're relying on a lot of things happening there and smart management over the next probably five, five plus years. But I don't see any reason why we can't go for Europe next season, um, especially if we sign some some better players. You know, I think that's a really, uh, a really achievable target. Agreed. But, but by the same token, if we don't get that, that's I'm not going to be too despondent about that. I'm not going to be too upset. I think my main probably my main concern is whether players like Bruno, how how long's he gonna want to stay around if we're not if we're not pushing quickly for Europe. Um but you know it's just impossible. We're we're talking about things that are far far in the future here, so we just don't know, do we? Correct. We just Aye. don't we just don't know. So what we're going to do is have a very, very short break. 
I'm going to cough a little bit because I'm <laughs> you can probably <laughs> tell my voice I'm struggling. And then we'll get into talking about the Arsenal game. See you in a minute. Right. So, Newcastle v Arsenal. So, it's we actually we were talking about when to do this preview, weren't we? And we decided that we'd do it. We'd do it tonight on Friday. It's our Friday night. Usually we do it earlier in the week, but Arsenal had their big game against Spurs this morning, which they absolutely fluffed. They got beat three 0 by Spurs. Um, Didn't call that one to be honest. Did not call that. Well, it was that. It was at Spurs. Uh, I think it's put as it put Spurs. It's put Spurs one point behind them, and they've they've played the same amount of games. But Spurs have got uh, easier fixtures on paper. They've got Burnley and can't remember who who the other one is. Norwich, I think. Norwich, I think it is. I think they're both yeah. at home, possibly as well. Arsenal have got Newcastle. They've got us, and they've got Everton. So I was talking to Tommy, who we had on for the. For the Spurs preview, and he was on Twitter, and he was saying that you know the via mark this this uh, game for Arsenal is one that they could drop points in. Well, to be fair, Manchester City fans thought that about Liverpool. Even Liverpool fans thought that about Liverpool potential potential dropping of points. Um, but Arsenal uh, do not look in good shape coming into this game at St James's Park. Uh, did you watch any of the game this morning, Craig? Did you manage to catch any of it? Uh, caught the last half an hour, and from what I did see, Spurs were very dominant. They were already 3 0 up at that time, and uh, Arsenal were down to 10 men, so it was pretty much game over. But Arsenal they did have one or two chances. Uh, Erdegaard he had a, a good shot, which was just straight at the keeper, which he should have buried to be honest. Not that it would have made much of a difference to the game, but yeah, it was a dominant Spurs performance from what I read on uh, social media and from what I've seen from the last half an hour. Mm. Yeah, massive result for Spurs puts things puts the cat among the pigeons in the Champions League qualification, and it's it's a bit of probably a good job for us that Arsenal are, um, are coming into this game a bit struggling because if you look at the head to head, gee, uh, this does not this does not make good reading for Newcastle. Newcastle, so Newcastle have out of the last nineteen games against Arsenal. In all competitions, we've won one, drawn <laughs> none, and lost eighteen. We've won three out of forty-two, going back to two thousand and one. Three out of forty-two. That's not good, is it, Craig? It's awful to be honest. <laughs> I think we've got a uh, better stats against the legs of Man United, Chelsea, and Spurs, and I didn't realize it was that bad to be honest. Uh, yeah. It was just, yeah, that is awful. That is genuinely awful. It just seems to be one of our, uh, you know, kind of bogey team because Arsenal have been a the better team than us over consistently for the last well, twenty years or so. But that is just dreadful. You, you normally think uh, London teams don't tend to travel very well up to the northeast, um, yeah. but that seems to not be the case with Arsenal. Yeah, so they've. They've beat us pretty much. They beat us pretty much all the time. We the one win we had against them in those nineteen games was when Rafa was here, when Matt Ritchie scored. I think Matt yeah. Ritchie scored. Assist uh, from Slimani. <laughs> yeah, Slimani. I remember him. <laughs> Big Islam. 
<laughs> um, so yeah, that was towards the end of must have been the 2018 2019 season, maybe. But if you look at the so this head to head in 2019, August was Steve Bruce's first game. Oh, I remember that one. We look, we got beat one nil, and then in February, we got beat four nil, and then in January, we got beat three nil. I'd be lying if I said I remembered anything about any of those games. <laughs> and then we got beat 2-0 uh, towards the end of last season. And then Arsenal beat us 2-0 earlier this season. That was Eddie Howe's second game, I think. I think that yeah. was when we were still... It was when we were, we were still playing Matt Rich at left-back <laughs> and Jacob Murphy at right wing-back. Just maybe not a surprise we lost, we lost that one. Um... But yeah, it's it's not a good record. So the the fact that Arsenal don't seem to have any fit defenders, um, and the fact that they've just taken a big beating might might balance out those those stats a little bit. Uh, I think I think the fact that it's it's the last home game of the season. Apparently, War Flags have got their biggest the biggest um, display display yet arranged. And of course, Mark's there. Our Mark's there, so yes, we'll be hoping that he brings him a little bit of luck. Um, he'll be he'll be hoping for that. But let's have a little look. So, um, we'll do the Arsenal team first because they they had Gabriel or Gabriel, the defender, got went off injured, didn't he, this morning? He did. Um, I seen a, someone quoted on Twitter. Uh, he might be okay for the Newcastle game. It'll be touch and go. So I've got him in on this one based on uh, just that comment and Ben White coming back in for because Holden got sent off, so he's going to be suspended. Yeah, so it was it was interesting that White didn't come on at any point against Spurs, even when Holden got sent off in the first half, yeah. and then when Gabriel went off injured, so he clearly wasn't fit. Like they ended up. Playing the game with with fullbacks and midfielders in cent- at centre back, I think. So that that shows that um, they are really struggling for centre backs. Mm-hmm. Um, it'll be it'll be interesting to see what they actually do. Um, and from our point of view, that's got to be a good thing for us to target. Um, the rest of the team is this. So this is a predicted a predicted lineup. They've got a young team, haven't they? They've got a young, especially. Attacking wise, they've got quite yeah. a quite a talented team, haven't they, Craig? They have. Uh, you look, you look at uh, Saka, and he's come on leaps and bounds since that penalty miss uh, for England. Um, so good for when he'd done that. But if anything, uh, the boy became a man when he'd done that, and he's been incredible for them this season. Uh, superb talent. Odegaard didn't quite hit the uh, limelight that everyone thought he would do at Real Madrid, but he's now the captain of Arsenal, which is a uh, Pretty impressive. And Martinelli on uh, the left, he scored a cracking goal against us in uh, the reverse fixture. Uh, superb one, I think, was on the volley uh, just uh, past the Bravka. Uh, superb goal on that one. But yeah, they're a, a team on the rise and they've just rewarded Arteta with a new contract extension, I believe. Because uh, at first, when he got there, the club wasn't doing too good. I think they had a mid-table finish at one point. But now they're, they're definitely on the way back to where they like to think they belong. It shows you how hard it is, doesn't it, though? Because, like, I mean, they still look miles off even the Chelsea's team, like got the out. Arsenal team. Like, the, they've got some good young players, and I know that Saka and Smith-Rowe, I think it's the first time that two players 
under 21, maybe two English players under 21 have scored 10 league goals, Premier League goals in a season. So that's, you know, that's impressive for, for right. Arsenal. Um, but Enketia, the striker, he's out of contract. He's been linked with us. He's out of contract mm-hmm. at the end of the season. He's come in and he's done quite well, but he's keeping and he's keeping Lacazette out of the team at the moment. So it, it kind of makes you realise the challenge that Newcastle have got as well, because this is Arsenal might have been a little bit mismanaged at times, and they've been through a few different managers, and the, the transfer policies seemed a bit strange sometimes. But they even they look miles and miles away from sort of never mind Man City and Liverpool, even from even from Chelsea, Chelsea really. And missing out on the Champions League will be a blow for them this season as well. So um, Dexter's just bringing us back to earth a little bit here. We've been terrible against top six. One point thirty goals conceded and scored five. Yeah, thanks, Dexter. That's <laughs> no, fair. It's fair. You know, it's right. Like we we can get we can get excited about these these games and seeing how we how we go up and we can look for the positives, but we're still we're still miles away from even Arsenal at the moment. We'll have and we'll have to be realistic about that. Um so that's probably what the Arsenal team's gonna be. Um hopefully for us White Gabriel and White are injured. I don't know what they'll do then. They yeah, might try and get it cancelled. <laughs> <laughs> can they can they can they say COVID? They can say they've got COVID and can't get it cancelled. I think they what Liverpool done and just report loads of false uh, COVID tests. Yeah. And, um uh, get away with it that way. So let's have a look at what you think the... I've done my Newcastle team as well. You do yours here first. So, yeah, talk us through what you think, how you think we might set up for this game. So, the Bravka and goal as per. Uh, he always going to retain his spot, even after he's a howler against Man City. Um, target at left-back, Bernard Shaw, the two centre-backs, and Trippier, uh, to be recalled, is right-back. And across the middle, I've got Murphy on the right. Uh, then Joe Linton, then Bruno, and Amaron on the on the right. Sorry, with Murphy on the left. Yeah, Murphy on and the left, yeah. ASM uh, through the middle in number ten role with Wilson starting as well. Reason why I've gone with this is a few things. One is I don't want to see uh, Sean Longstaff anywhere near that squad for the main of the season. Uh, I've had my say on him. I'm not going to go much further. He thinks he's good enough to warrant starting positions and get a new contract for that. I don't think he is, and I think the majority of the fan base thinks that as well. And another reason is ASM through the middle, it just gives him a bit of a different approach. And Granite Jacker, who we know, he's always a bit daft in terms of giving away stupid free kicks and picking up yellow cards. He picks up some stupid red cards as well, Granite Jacker. And ASM is the most foul person in the Premier League. So that would be an interesting one, seeing him through the middle and them two having a little bit of a battle. And I think ASM's uh, link up with Wilson is very natural compared to what it is with Wood. So them two should hopefully bounce off each other, uh, just like they did before Wilson picked up that uh, calf injury. So this is you. This would be a bit of a change of formation, wouldn't it? Then, so it's you haven't got the three midfielders because Maxi's not going to be doing any uh, any defending, is he? <laughs> No, not really. You're looking at it basically as a four-four-one-one, uh, with again ASM in that top, and with Murphy out on the uh, the left as well. He's going to give a lot more defensive cover for Target, who, as we know, got absolutely destroyed against Man City. And mm-hmm. I think with Joe Linton and Bruno sat behind ASM, that's enough defensive cover 
for when he does have his uh, lapses in concentration. Yeah, and you've got Shah as the captain there. Do you think there's, um, any, cha- do you think there's any chance that Trippier might? Uh... I don't know. Uh, I'd, he is obviously captain material. Even when he came on for his little cameo against Man City, he was ordering the defence around and everything. Else. But I think he'll give it a shot based on he's already had it so far this season. Um, but I wouldn't be fussed either way if Trippier did get it. He's obviously warranted it. Yeah, and sh- there still is doubt over Shaw. So if he's not, if he's not playing, uh, probably I'll just be Lascelles, won't it? Well, Shaw made the bench for the Man City game, so I'd imagine he'd be fully fit. Yeah, and he, and he actually said that Ryan Fraser's trained as well. Uh, he said that Fraser Fraser has trained. Uh, I think it was one day or two days. So. He said that he could be in contention. It'd probably be a surprise if he started, but yeah, it'd be nice to have him already. back. Do you think? Um, and there's only two games to go, but how big a miss do you think Shelby and Willock uh, were in last week, or will be in these next two games? Shelby definitely, um, and I never thought I'd say that. Uh, Willock is replaceable with Bruno. Uh, I think Bruno is the better out of the two. And I think uh, in terms of injury, I think it's a knee ligament issue that Willock's got. So, and he's been carrying that for a while. So that's obviously hampered his performance. I mean, we haven't seen the, the Joe Willock like we had last season, unfortunately, um, which is a big loss. But I'd much rather give him the option to have Shelby over Willock in the squad. if uh, mm. you Because you, I think you've, still, you've got to play Joe Linton and Bruno just because I think they're, they're, they're irreplaceable right now. Yeah, I think it's whether he goes with Joe Linton because he has been putting him, up, well, he put him up front against Norwich and quickly moved him out wide. But uh, I think because of those two midfielders are missing, I think Joe Linton will definitely be in the middle. Yeah. Let's just flick onto my team. Um, where's it gone? So this is what I think, uh, it's kind of part of what I hope and part of what I think. Uh, it's same same defense, but I've got Trippier as captain. I just think he's going to be the captain next season. He is. We've got quite a few good characters actually in the team now. We've got mm-hmm. we've got a number of players who would make good captains, and Lascelles has been a good captain over his time as being captain. To be fair to him, but I think he's probably going to be fourth choice centre back next season. Uh, so I think I don't know whether he's going to want to try and keep Lascelles as the club captain. But uh, for squad harmony reasons, but I think Trippier is the outstanding candidate to be captain, to be club captain, and to be captain on the pitch for his next season. So I think it would be good to, for him to start having having the armband now for these next two games, give him the experience of captain at St James's Park. Um, I w- I was actually doubtful about whether Trippier and Wilson whether they should come in for the end of the season. I thought maybe let them. Let them, you know, see out the end of the season and just get fit, just get fully fit. But I think after we've lost the last two games, even though it was expected, I think it just give it's going to give everyone a boost to be able to see both Trippier and Wilson in the team. So if they're fit, uh, Eddie Eddie said in his press conference that they need to assess whether how how long they can last. They're both unlikely to last ninety minutes, but if they can last sixty minutes, or with Trippier, I'd even suggest. Give him hot till half time, and then if he's too, if he's tired, bring him off. You know, um, I think he's that good, and he makes the team that much better. Even though it uses up a sub, so I would say, um, yeah, back that back four, and then I've I actually have got Longstaff in the middle because I think he will play Longstaff in the middle. We 
me and you, Craig and Bobby, all kind of criticised <laughs> Longstaff after his Norwich performance. Mm-hmm. And it's probably fair to say he's only really had two, probably two decent games this season um, where he was good, which was Watford away and Leeds away. So it was interesting. There was a story in the in the press about him not getting a new con about refusing a new contract because he wants to get first team football, which I think would be fair enough. But then yesterday, Howe said that he uh, he hopes that there's going to be a positive resolution to that. So I'm a bit conflicted with Longstaff because I loved him when he first came on the scene and when he. He has he has shown he has proven that he can play at this level when he's well coached and when he's in a, mm-hmm. when he's in a team that maybe that suits him or when he's in a position that suits him and he was he was performing well in the midfield too with Diame in in Rafa Rafa's system against Man City he was outstanding in one game against Man City so he ha- he has got it in him I don't think he's like he's not a competition winner you know like is like is how he's going to be. Um, He's going to be portrayed a little bit, and that's something that's going to happen with a few of our players who aren't as good uh, from next season. He does have something about him, but I wouldn't be upset if he left as well because I think probably for next season, he's, his minutes are probably going to be limited. I'm not sure where he's going to fit in. He, he does he does weaken the team when he's there, so this team would be stronger with Shelby or Willock in there. So yeah. I don't, uh, it might be a bit. Exaggerating a bit to say that he's maybe playing for his future in these next two games, even though he's already been offered a new contract. But if I was him, I don't know if I'd be thinking maybe I should maybe I should go. You know, um, it's, I suppose it depends what other offers he gets. Maybe he gets a, a better offer somewhere else, um, or maybe he just he does want to hang around for another season or two and just see if he can become a part of this squad at his hometown club. But I think for I think for us it's relatively risk risk free. Um, if he doesn't play, he doesn't play. You know, he takes it the squad place and he, and he doesn't play, and then we can sell him next next in January or next summer. Um, but I'd be surprised if both him and Hayden are in the squad, taking up a squad space. So I'd be I, I don't think they'll both be in the squad. Um, so if Longstaff stays, I would expect Hayden to be sold because otherwise it takes up two midfield positions of. Yeah, weaker weaker players when we're going to be going out and buying, you know, buying better players. So I've gone off on a little bit of a, uh, <laughs> a bit of a speed <laughs> stuff there, but yeah, I think he'll play in this game. I think he'll be he'll be in the middle there, and then I've got Murphy in as well, actually, instead of Miggy. So all right, Miggy, well done to Miggy for getting goal of the goal of the month. By the way, that was well deserved. Yeah, well done, Miggy. But his, I think, I just think the team functions better with Murphy in it, and. It's it's interesting. We've both got Murphy in this uh, in our teams for this game. He he was one of those players who was like, you know, you would groan when you saw him on the team sheet. Um, and he's twenty seven now. You know, he's not a kid anymore. But I think the the team when he's not hitting the post, I think the team functions better and functions well when he's in it because he does what he's told. He's able to, he's able to follow instructions, and although his execution isn't great at times. He still does have. He's sometimes, you know, he's he's contributed to a few goals, uh, and I think he helps out the structure of the team. And it must be it must be nice for a fullback to have Murphy in front of them because you know that you know he's going to track back and he's going to help you out. So I would have him on the right, and I would have for this game. I don't want to drop Maxi for the the last two games. Let's just see. Let's see how he goes. We've talked about Maxi a lot. Uh, I think he's 
he still is at this stage one of our best chances of scoring, creating goals. So target's probably going to be in for a rough, a rough game against Saka, maybe. Um, but I would have Maxi on there for his attacking um, prowess, and then I would have Wilson. I'd have Wilson straight back in as well if he's fit. Um, he's just. He even saw against Man City, he got he got a couple of chances, and he, he got into positions that Wood hasn't even been getting into. Correct. So if we if we can get Wilson back in, um, I'd say to start him for this game. So a little bit of a, but I would stick with the four three three as well because I think that's what's worked. Um, although it's all football formations are all fluid, aren't they? They don't stick in the exact in the exact formations, but I would stick with what's with what's worked. Um, and I think that. I think that we can do a good, we can put give a good account of ourselves here, and I really fancy us to to get something. I'm get I'm getting excited, and Dex might tell me off again. But With a find... weakened defence, there's always a chance. And like I say, they've got one or two hotheads in uh, that squad. I mentioned uh, Granite Jacker before. Uh, be interesting to see what type of game he has against as uh, ball player like Bruno. Uh, that'll be uh, an interesting combat between them. But I, I, I think you're right. We do. This is probably the best opportunity we've had to beat a, an Arsenal squad in a good number of years. And last game of the season, you know, we've got nothing to lose, but we've got points to gain. So why not go out on a high like we did against Spurs, like we did against Chelsea? Uh, you know, that relegation season where we beat Spurs 5-1, I think, and we were down with yeah. 10 men. Uh, Mitrovic got sent off. Uh, that was a cracking game, that one. Then we beat Chelsea when we came back up 3-0. And... You know, once uh, things are a little bit more relaxed, players can play a bit more freedom, and hopefully, we can put on a good show. Yeah, and the Spurs, um, the Spurs game, the, there might be a similar atmosphere to that. It was a strange, it was a great atmosphere, but everyone was just yeah. uh, just wanted Rafa to stay, didn't they? So there was a really, and there'll be a similar kind of fervent atmosphere. Last game of the season, mm-hmm. Monday night game, I think there'll be there'll be a similar kind of fervent atmosphere for the game. It's interesting. Something else that Howe said in his press conference was that um, he doesn't think that the players, our players, necessarily dropped their levels in the last two games against Liverpool and Man City. He just said that we've come up against two teams who are just levels above us. You know, uh, they're, they're the two best teams in world football, probably. Um, yeah. Real Madrid might have something to say about that, but um, he said that yeah, it wasn't that we dropped. It was just that, even though he was critical of the team, of the team and the, the some of the players, um, I think that he he said that we didn't drop. They we just came up against two outstanding teams, uh, and I don't think Arsenal. Well, we know that Arsenal are not on that on that level, so I'm I'm confident, and I think it would be a really good boost and a fitting end to the season at St James's Park if we can pick up at least one point. But there's no reason why we can't go for all three. And who were we? I can't remember who we were talking to, or but they were saying that Arsenal might be in a position where they need to win this game, where a draw might be no good for them. Mm-hmm. So we we could benefit from that if they start streaming forward and trying to attack towards the end, and if it's a, if we're drawing, and we could benefit from that on the break potentially. Absolutely, very very nice. So Uggie Uggie says I am confident we'll get a result out of this game. Thoughts? Would you take a draw, Jack? Uh, I'll take a draw, yeah. I don't th- the result. I don't know, actually, because I think we can win. I think we can win, and I'm quite confident that we are going to win. Um, I would take I, I would I would take a draw if it had <laughs> been picky. I'd take a draw if it was 
a late equaliser for us and it felt like a win. Well, if we're going to get anything from this game, I think we're going to have to score. And as we proved from the previous history, we haven't scored against Arsenal in however many games. Um, I think Arsenal will score, so we will have to as well. I am, if I have to go for a prediction, uh, which I know we normally do, I'm going to say 3-1 us. Oh, 3-1. Yeah. I'm going to go for, I'm going to go with uh 2-1. I think I, I think we'll, a 2-1 victory I think we're going to win. Let me know your predictions in the comments please. Um all right. We will have just Dex's comment here it says that's my concern how we've got every ounce out of a lot of championship quality players is it sustainable next season? Thoughts on that Craig? To be honest, I don't think a lot of those championship quality players will be here next season. They'll either be sold or put out on loan. Yeah, I was. That was my initial reaction. Is that I don't think we'll have many championship quality players left. I think we're gonna we're gonna go much more in depth into the squad and into looking at potential transfers over the next few weeks. But if Newcastle, if we sign four first team players, um, then. Taking into account the January transfers, that would be seven new first team players over the course of two transfer windows. So, you know, the January transfers have been big, big successes, uh, and that's, I think, to, to have to have that many new players, it's it's probably just about the right amount to try and integrate. We'll still be left with some players from before, but they'll be they'll be the, the better players like Wilson, maybe like like Maxi. Um, potentially like Shaw, you know, and like Dubravka. So I don't think we're going to be have many what you would class as championship level players left. Um, Keegan, uh, Keegan says that if our alleged budget is eighty million, surely we can be like other clubs and pay for players in instalments. Which I think I'm going to do something on FFP soon as well. But yeah, I think that is what will happen. You get six to seven quality players in, Craig. Yeah, uh, I. I think that just makes sense. I think uh, one thing that we've done with uh, the Bruno deal, I don't know how much truth there is in this, but uh, apparently, uh, I think the fee was what, 35 million, something I guess, give or take, is we paid a decent portion of that by cash. I think 50% was just cash purchase, then the rest is spread out over time. Uh, and I think that's what got with the deal because we paid a big chunk straight away. And I think it was an offer that uh, Leon couldn't really refuse. Because I think ninety nine percent of all transfers now are done over the period of the contract, uh, mm. which if you can give a, a club uh, a bit of cash flow, like twenty million or whatever it's going to be in post COVID uh, times when everyone needs as many dollars as they can get, pounds, whatever, then they're going to bet your hand off for it. And we've kind of got that luxury; we can do that with the owners we've got. Yeah, um, and it's some, but it's something that Ashley used to do, wasn't it? it? Was that he would insist on getting cash up front for players to yeah. sell him players, and he would want to pay cash up front for other players as well most of the time. So we didn't have any debt owing on in terms of to other clubs when the takeover happened, which was actually nobody likes Mike Ashley, but some of the things he did financially have put us in a very very good position in terms of financial fair play, which I'm going to go into uh, further later in the week. But in terms of six or seven players, I just I just know that Howe has talked a lot about balance. He's talked about he wants to have the squad balance and keep mm-hmm. um, keep the right level. He doesn't want to have to integrate too many new players into the squad. 
Yeah. Um, and he was asked about this in his press conference again, and he said that the numbers for January, which was four permanent and one loan, were the right numbers for that situation at that time. So I think he's he's going to be very careful about not wanting to upset things too much. So I think we will buy a lot. We will buy a number of high quality players. I just don't think it'll probably be six or seven. I don't think it'll be quite that many. Yeah. Right. What we'll do is have another little break. I'll have another big cough. Um, <laughs> and we'll be back and we're going to talk about probably the topic of the day has been the, the kit, the away kit. So we'll be back in a minute and we'll get into that. All right, so as we came as we came to came on on air tonight, there's a lot of things happening on Twitter about this new this new kit. I think it's probably f- uh, fair to say that these these leaks are actually legit, or there's certainly been no uh, suggestion that they're not they're not legit. With kits like, and it's I know that people get very excited about it. With me, it's just like we're gonna play in black and white, you know, <laughs> like it. I like I like certain kits because of but it's usually with what happens when the team are in that kit. So um I mean like I remember the NTL one in two thousand one, two thousand two with the big thick stripes wasn't particularly nice kit, but it's very fondly thought of for me particularly because we were good. We were good then and it was my personal memory of having my season ticket. So everyone loves the granddad collar kit as well, obviously. But I know that kits get people very excited. Um We've we've got them to to flash up here, so we'll go. We'll we'll save the we'll save the away kit till the end because <laughs> we're going to have a bit of discussion about that. But here's the for the, I mean, some people will be listening, but most people will have seen this already. That's just it's hard to say as well, isn't it? Without the sponsor, so yeah, you know, we don't it know is. Sponsor is going to be. But what's your initial thoughts about that kit, Craig? To me, it looks like the eighteen nineteen kit. Um, I know there's not much you can do with black and white stripes, to be honest. Uh, there's only so many designs you can recycle before everything starts to look the same. But if you were to put Rondon in that kit now, uh, you can just uh, picture him scoring at the Gallagher end. Uh, you know, it was just, it's almost uh, the, the same. I, I love the, the blue color on the, the Castor logo. I think that's really nice. Mm. And the... The sleeves as well. I like the, the piping around there. I think that's a, a good touch to one of the old retro style kits. Uh, good little homage to that. But there's no real design or flair to it. But again, I'll reserve judgment properly once I've seen one in the flesh. Because yeah. sometimes you can never really get a good gauge of it just on a slightly lower resolution image off Twitter. How long is the Castor ideal for? I don't know. I think five years rings a bell, but that's just uh, a guesswork. Yeah, because we've <laughs> the two under pod. We've had issues with Castoria, haven't we? We we did the we did the shirt um, giveaway, and somebody won it. And it took them it took them about two months to send it to Scotland. You know, uh, it was and it was like the the communication with with them wasn't good. I don't know whether that's to do with the fact that the store had been outsourced to Sports Direct previously, or whether it's just I don't know teething issues or something, but. It wasn't good. It wasn't a good experience that we had there. So we'll see. We'll have to wait and see what happens. This is the third kit. I feel like I've seen this before. So for those listening, it's blue with gold 
um, trim on the sleeves, and the gold badge and the gold Castore uh, emblem as well. This we had a kit like this in the the one that Lee wears when he does the pod sometimes. So I think yeah, it was two thousand maybe. That's the one that uh, I instantly thought of. Uh, you had uh, the gold Adidas stripes on the sleeve on there, and you've got the uh, what looks like gold paint splashes or something like that on the sleeves. It's hard to tell really, uh, mm. just to try and maybe mimic that. But yeah, it is very very uh, similar to that kit you're on about. Really nice that one. That's my favorite to be honest. It's nice, yeah. It looks nice. Um, we're probably not going to wear it very often. Um, although, in fairness, because the away kit is white and the home kit's black and white, maybe we will have to wear it. Because what happens if we play? I mean, when we play Fulham or something, we can't really wear black and white, and we can't wear white, so we probably will will wear this, which is good for the kit manufacturer. Absolutely, yeah. But let's get into it. So this has caused a lot of controversy today, and. <laughs> We've been kind of chatting about a little bit about it. Uggy straight away when we started, two minutes after we started, said, I'm fuming already just seeing Luke Edwards have a, having a go at us about our new away kit. Here's the new away kit. It's a Saudi Arabia shirt. <laughs> hey. I, is... I don't think there's anything wrong with that, personally. You know, we've had white and green kits before, but obviously they're not modelled on... Uh, the Saudi Arabia national squad kit. Um, I like the colours. I think it, it, it's a classic looking design. Um, there's nothing wrong with it. Uh, if you were to take Saudi Arabia out of the equation, which I know you can't really do, but if you just park that one side, it is a pretty good looking uh, kit, to be honest. I don't mind it. It is nice. It looks nice. Uh, and like like we said with the other ones, though, we'll need to wait and see what, what it looks like with the logo on it, because... If it's funny, if it's fun '88, and it's that horrible blue, which it won't be, I don't think. Um, even though I think they had a long-term deal or something, but um, I don't think. I think we'll, we'll probably just buy them out. It's only it's only worth six and a half million compared to twenty million plus that the big uh, established big six clubs get for their shirt sponsorship. And I'm pretty sure that we're going to want to be getting some serious um, sponsorships coming in, mm-hmm. whether that's through. Well, it's not allowed to be a company linked to Saudi Arabia at the moment. Um, or linked to it's not allowed to be a company that's linked to our owners. So right. so the, but the Premier League have said that the Premier League have said that Saudi Arabia aren't our owners, haven't they? Yeah. So uh, that, like... was, that was the thing. Uh, they when they announced the takeover, they have got legal um reassurances that PIF, the Public Investment Fund of Saudi Arabia, are separate from the country of Saudi mm. Arabia. When technically we all know they're not, because it was even though we all know they're not, yeah, yeah. But yeah, you know, it, it, that's just uh, the word they give because it's all about piracy, and we discussed that a few days ago. But that's uh, again yeah. a topic for another um, pod. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, uh, it's blatantly around Saudi Arabia. It's designed to push it in Saudi Arabia, I think, uh, where there is potentially an uncapped potential over there. Uh, mm. population of 35 million. If we can get this one percent of those buying tune shirts, whether it be that one or the other two, then happy days, it's a bit more cash in the bank, you know. Yeah, so there's a couple of things here which I mean, I, I haven't spent a lot, a great deal of time thinking about, um, you know, deals between football clubs and shirt manufacturers. But Keegan actually made a good point to me, which was that. Because I was, there was people on on Twitter. That Saudi Gaza guy was on saying, 
oh, if Newcastle can sell two million of these, they'll get 150 million coming, you know, pounds coming in. And I was looking at the FFP stuff, and the whole revenue for 2020 was 153 million. So it's like we're not going to make that just off selling kits to two million Saudis. And then Keegan was saying that the way it works usually, and Mark was saying as well, is that the the kit manufacturer pays the club a flat fee at the beginning of the season or the beginning of the contract or whatever it is. And then they get all of the money from the sales. So in terms of this kit, this is going to be this is going to be good for Saudi, um, for Castore, because they're going to sell a lot of kits in Saudi, which Newcastle are not going to see the money from, or they might see a little bit of, but yeah, Texas said Castore gets 90%, so there's no revenue opportunity. So that puts to bed a couple of those things that we've seen on Twitter straight away. So you can see why it makes sense for them. And it was Luke Edwards that apparently said that Castore were the ones who came up with this idea and then someone at the club has okayed it. But in terms of in terms of Newcastle, this for us, this is presumably the benefit is going to be that we're gonna we're gonna start building a brand in Saudi Arabia, which is a country of thirty-five million people or whatever it is. So that's where that's that's where at this point in time, that's where this is going to come into play. And then in future, when it comes to negotiating deals with kit manufacturers, if we if we've got better players or if we've got marquee players. And that's going to bump up the price of those deals between Newcastle and the what, whoever the kit manufacturer is. Does that make sense, Craig? It does, yeah. And I, I think it was uh, the Nike deal with Liverpool. Uh, I think that's worth seventy-six million pounds or something like it. So if ours is worth five, then you know that the difference that can make towards your season budget, to wage cost, everything like that is—it's huge. It really is. And I know even at one point, um, Nike, they were trying to get Mbappe to Liverpool because Mbappe is uh, Nike's key um, figurehead and they want to get him in a Liverpool shirt. They were even going to help Liverpool fund the transfer and everything like that, but it just never came. Uh, that, mm. That's the power these big brand names like Nike, Adidas, whoever, have with uh, the, the brand that they've got and the money they can throw at the clubs, which is fantastic. And I'd love to get Adidas back. We've done some gorgeous yeah. kits under Adidas. Yeah, I think um, it just goes well with the black and white, doesn't it? But mm-hmm. And in terms of the controversy that this has caused, like, what what are my thoughts about this is that this these things are going to flare up from time to time with Newcastle. So there's going to be pressure points where where a lot of the journalists, the national journalists, or and even some of the local journalists, like the Chelsea game was one of them, where there was a lot of national journalists there who started asking Eddie how about Saudi. And then that was in the news for a, a few days. And then this is going to be in the news for a few days now. When it's confirmed and when it's released, it will be in the news. And probably the first time you wear it, it's going to be in the news as well. Mm-hmm. But it for me, it seems like it's short-term PR um criticism from people who would probably criticize anyway uh, and it's you know they've got the long-term commercial um they've got the, the commercial activity long-term of the club in mind so i think they'll probably just ride it out and i think as fans like i don't care i really don't care about the kit it's like i just don't care like i'm not <laughs> i don't i'm not bothered by it and i we were talking after the Chelsea game where 
it was Tarek Panja and um, Delay, Miguel Delaney. You know, we were talking about that, and Barry Glenn and does it all the time as well. It's how do we um, how do we deal with it when we get when the club gets attacked in this way, or when and when the fans by association get attacked? Do we go out and defend everything, and do we just do we shill? Do we shill for Saudi? Do we do we defend and say that it's all fine, or do we say that we don't care, or do we just let it wash over us because it comes with the territory, you know? We we're we're, we're already a big club, but we're going to become a bigger club, and mm-hmm. there's there's controversy, and we we have to accept that. But what's yeah, I, I think that we just need to accept that this is going to happen. It comes with the territory. We're going to get criticised anyway, but it's it's only going to be in short short bursts, and then everyone's going to probably forget about it, and we'll end up, and then the news will be about which players were signing or what Eddie Howe's doing next. You know. Yeah, it, it's uh, there's an old saying where uh, today's news is tomorrow's chip shop paper, and yeah. that's exactly what it's going to be. Uh, it'll it'll be like a dust in the wind, and then something else will, will come along because we'll sign somebody for a hundred million in two mm. years' time or whatever, saying, "Oh, we're, we're buying the league," and it'll just there's always going to be something bigger around the corner for someone to try and knock us down with. But as long as we can stay together as a fan base, you know, we've got to accept that the owners will make mistakes. That's inevitable. Mm. And this uh, kit may be a mistake. It may be a bit too much too soon. But we won't know until the end of next season as to Mm. whether the kit is sold well in numbers, whether it's uh, being worn around the world in different territories. I know we've got the preseason tour in the States. So it'll be interesting to see how shirt sales go over there. And... I genuinely think it's a really good PR exercise because at the minute, the amount of publicity the club's getting is really, really mm. good. It may not mm. be good publicity, but it's still good publicity and it gets our name out there. Yeah, and I think I've done my uh, thoughts about the Saudis and um, I've it's taken me a little while to come to kind of a conclusion about how I feel about it all. But that's that this shirt thing is all tied in with that so i haven't nothing nothing's going to make me walk away from newcastle united doesn't mean i think that nation states should be allowed to own football clubs but they are allowed to the premier league's allowed that so this shirt is that it just is tied in with that for me and i just don't care like uh (laughs) really i'm not bothered and it's just not something that I'm going to spend much time thinking about, or I'm not going to be jumping on Twitter, kind of defend, like defending it, or it is what it is, and we're going to get criticised. Dexter says it's sport washing, and we have to accept it. Fair. I don't think it is. Uh, not in this one. I don't think it's sport washing. I think this is uh, a PR exercise. It's going to start borderline on sport washing if they go down other things like this. But I think this is purely just to tap into a market where we have a potential revenue stream, which is what we need as a club. We we won't be able to function, we won't be able to grow as a club without this uh, revenue stream. We need to get it from other sources because, you know, the Premier League are trying to throttle everything we do. Hmm. All right. Just before we finish, anything else to say on that, Craig? Before we finish, wrap that up? No. um, Just which of your three shirts is your favourite then, Jack? Um, 
I quite like the black and the black and white one's probably always going to be my favorite. I think that looks quite nice. Yeah, it's um, pretty smart. Blue one for me. Yeah. We'll we'll wait and see what um what happens when we wear the shirts and then that'll that'll um uh, determine which one's my favorite in the end. I wanted to look yeah, I was just gonna look at that comment from Keegan. This must be breaking news on uh on the Tune Under pod. Eddie's been nominated for manager of the year. Get in on it. I can't say I'm surprised about that, but what do you think the chances of him actually winning this are, Craig? If it's fellow managers that are voting for him, which I think that's how it works, then I think he's got a chance because I think everyone's fed up and sick to the back teeth of Klopp with his excuses. And Pep has won it numerous times before. And, you know, Eddie came into the club, however many games in, what was it, seven, eight, we didn't win a game for 14, and now we comfortably staying up and we bought some really, really good players. Yes, we are going to say we bought our way to survival. We didn't buy our way to survival. We bought clever. And that's exactly what we've done. And I do think he's got a very, very strong chance. The only other two you'd think, or apart from Klopp and Pep, would maybe be David Moyes. Yeah. And uh, maybe the Wolves manager as well. I uh, can't remember his name, but maybe he's in with a shout. But yeah, when you consider that where we are on the table compared to where we were and where we were heading, he's definitely got to be uh, considered. I think that this is this is interesting because if Liverpool win the Champions League and the FA Cup and the League Cup, which have already won, so if they do that treble, I think that Klopp will win that. If Man City win the Premier League, though, and that's the only thing they win, then... I think Dex has said it there. He thinks that if Man City win the Premier League, I think Eddie has a chance. I'd probably agree with that. If Liverpool win it, then it'll be Klopp. But if Man City win it, I think the the failure to win the um to get into the Champions League final has damaged Pep. And it's it's different from a few weeks ago where it looked like Liverpool might win the quadruple. So I think he's actually in with a decent chance here of of winning manager of the year. Um if if that happens and if Man City win the, the league. And, pe- I mean, yeah, people will say that the January transfer window uh, is the reason why he's done what he's done. But anyone who knows football and anyone who knows the Premier League knows what a good job he's done. And I think mm-hmm. to ha- for him to have that recognition, he only came in October, I think is absolutely right. And I'm very pleased about that. I think we will end it there. I think I've it, done quite well. I think I've done quite well to get through this. Yeah, I've been riddled with COVID and coughing is good, so you've done awesome, mate. I am riddled. Um, I'm gonna. So, I've done something about financial fair play because that's been topical lately as well. So, I'm gonna I'm gonna come on and do a pod about that in the next couple of days. Um, a real um kind of analysis about what financial fair play means for Newcastle. Um, it's based on the the work of Swiss Ramble, who's a fantastic Twitter account. Um, but it's worth just digging into that a little bit, I think, because it's something that is getting thrown around a lot and it's going to form part of the narrative the, uh, in the transfer window. And we'll be back for a review of the Arsenal game on probably Tuesday or Wednesday, I imagine. And we'll probably do a preview of the Burnley game at the same time. And then after that, we're on the home stretch to the end of the season. So we've got plenty, we've got plenty coming up. Like I said before, please subscribe if you don't already subscribe. Uh, we uh, we love the um, 
subscriptions and the follows and the uh, the interaction that we get. So we're on Facebook as well. We're on Twitter at TuneUnderPod, and we've got uh, TuneUnder.com website. Thanks very much, Craig. Thank you very much, Jack. I'll speak to you in a few days. And thanks for everyone for commenting and watching along and to Keegan for giving us that breaking news. That's very nice when that happens on a pod. really is. We will will see you soon. Cheers. Cheers, lads.